Hey folks, welcome to episode 12 of Man of Screen Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode, we are going to take a look at chapters 7 through 9 of Adam Man vs. Superman. Just a few things I want to put out there before I start. I got some Facebook feedback that I wanted to share. I recently upgraded my Podomatic account, and when I did, I posted to Facebook on April 25th that, as of that time, my Batman v Superman episode was the highest downloaded episode on any of on my feed. At that time, it had almost twice as many downloads as the second most downloaded episode at that time, which was my Man of Steel commentary. Underneath that post, Douglas Meacham wrote that he thoroughly enjoyed them both. So, first and foremost, I would like to thank Doug for posting that there. Since then, the commentary was surpassed by episode 1, which was the first five Fleischer cartoons. So anyway, also, Friday, April 29th, was a special day for the podcast. It was the release date of my first episode of Man of Screen Extra, which, as I said on that episode, is going to be my outlet for anything else I might want to talk about. Bob Fisher of Superman Forever Radio and Giant Superman Podcast and Rebecca Johnson of Supergirl Radio discussed with me the way the creative teams of CBS's Supergirl handled Superman on the show. It was the first time I had guests in the show, and I think it went very well. If you haven't Caught that episode yet? It's on the feed. Just look for Man of Screen Extra. Anyway, to peel back the curtain a little bit, I live on the East Coast. These shows go online at about 3 a.m., my local time. By noon on Friday, I had almost broken my download record for a single day. By 6 p.m., when I got out of work, it had doubled the previous record. And as I record this on Saturday night, April 30th, it's already become my second most downloaded show, and I fully expect it to be number one soon. So, I would like to thank Bob and Rebecca for coming on and making that launch as successful as it was. And I hope the people who listen stick around for the, the show's regular format. Also, I really would like to encourage anyone who hasn't done so already to like the show's Facebook page. Just search for Man of Screen Podcast. You know, I post random movie news and other kind of Superman on the screen related stuff that I find as I journey around the internet. There is some stuff up there right now on the upcoming Justice League film, which is currently in production. Also, I post teasers for upcoming episodes, and that's probably the best place to find information on what may be next for Man of Screen Extra, as those shows will drop intermittently on Fridays. Also, you can now follow the show on Twitter, as it has its own Twitter account. Just follow at Man of Screencast. I tried to go for Man of Screen Podcast, but that was too long, and Man of Screen was already taken. Anyway, I am going to take a quick break, play a promo, and I'm going to come back with chapters 7 and 8 of Adam Man vs. Superman. Hang around. Hey everybody, I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins along with my friends Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks, and we're going to jump right into the next three chapters of this serial right now. I'm going to start with Chapter 7, At the Mercy of Adam Man. Trailing the radium thieves, Jimmy is caught. 
While Superman rounds up the others, Jimmy and his captor drive heedlessly into deadly danger. Superman saves Jimmy before the bomb hits the car. Luther's man returns with the radium. At the Daily Planet. Just as I drove up, I saw two rooms in a getaway car and they were... Both of you. Now let's have the story from the beginning, one at a time. Well, that won't be necessary. I've written a complete story. Of all the low, down, underhanded tricks. This is what I call real reporting. Nice work, Clark. Oh, it was nothing. Perry White speaking. Is that all? Thanks for the tip. The police have picked up two men, Superman sealed in a car. Did they talk? All they could coax out of the two men before they disappeared was the reason for the radium theft. The Adam man intends to use it to make synthetic kryptonite. Do you think he can do it? Whether he can or not, it'll make a great story. Now, here's your lead, Clark. Is Superman through? Adam man claims weapon will stop Superman. Have it ready for the five-star edition. Right, Chief. While preparing the kryptonite, Luther tells Albers Superman's origins on Krypton. If Krypton is a lost planet, how do you account for Superman here on Earth? For years, I have studied the writings of astronomers and scientists. While most of them have uh, had only fragmentary reports, I've been able to piece them together and arrive at certain conclusions. It seems that in the far reaches of space, at a pinpoint of infinity, there was once a tiny blue star. Spanning the billions of miles that separated this star from the Earth, they discovered that it was in reality a planet like our own. It was the ill-fated planet Krypton, which revolved about the brilliant sun of its own solar system, while satellites, like ringed moons in turn, revolved about it. Krypton was a rugged planet, laced with jagged mountain chains rich in strange minerals unknown to Earth. And on a wide plateau lay the capital of Krypton, the nerve center of a civilization that was far advanced, for it boasted a race of supermen and women. Among the leaders was Jor-El, the foremost man of science. His home also served as his laboratory and workshop. Jor-El's wife, Lara, inspired him in his feverish race to construct a trial spaceship. If successful, he planned on building a mammoth fleet to carry the inhabitants of the doomed planet to safety here on Earth. How do you know about this? Knowing that his planet was doomed, Jarrell apparently sent out messages in Kryptonic code. A ship's wireless operator kept receiving the impulses. Although he couldn't break down the code, he did make records of them. These were given to me by the captain of that ship, and I alone succeeded in deciphering Jarrell's pleas for help. Luthor arranges for a piece of kryptonite to be planted in the Daily Planet office at night. Clark is working there alone and collapses, seen by a janitor working for Luthor. Planted that stuff. Not Clark Kent out. You're only supposed to work on Superman. Well, what does that make Kent? Well, where is he? He was right here a minute ago. So Kent is Superman. You scared that jellyfish reporter so badly he ran out. You and your bright ideas. What's that? The night watch. Get the stuff we're pulling out of here. Luthor tries again at a ship dedication attended by Superman. A crook flashes kryptonite, causing Superman to collapse. 
of Metropolis, I am greatly honored to have this ship, Man of Steel, named for me. Posing as ambulance attendants, Luthor's crooks take Superman. Alright, on to the analysis here. Uh, this opening is recut from the ending of Chapter 6. We see Superman come in for a landing and rescue Jimmy from the car before the plane uh, bombs it and destroys it. And at this point, we finally get our name for Luthor's teleportation device. He calls it the Space Transporter, which, as you'll know, I've been using quite liberally during my analysis of the previous chapters. And this name sounds eerily like something Gene Roddenberry would think up in the 1960s to save money, doesn't it? We are reminded, in case we forgot from last week, that now that he has the radium, Luthor can create the one thing that can harm Superman. Synthetic kryptonite. I guess when the real thing is unavailable, synthetics will have to do. We have a scene in Perry's office, and this is the second time we've started the scene with multiple people, usually Jimmy and Lois, talking over each other. If they felt from last time they needed to liven up the scenes in Perry's office, then this is a decent way to do it, as it's more than just Perry barking out orders while his staffers just kind of sit there and nod at him. In this serial, they're also really starting to play up a rivalry between Lois and Clark. After Perry shuts both Jimmy and Lois up because nobody can understand the word they're saying over each other, Clark comes in and gives Perry the complete story, and Lois is not pleased in the slightest. Then they get a tip that the men Superman had trapped in the car revealed why Adam Man wanted the radium. So now everyone knows about his plan to make synthetic kryptonite. And it's clear here that Perry couldn't care less about any burgeoning rivalry between Lois and Clark, as he hands this assignment to Clark and doesn't even acknowledge Lois and Jimmy. We're back at Luthor's cave, and we see Luthor wearing an apron as he preheats his furnace to create synthetic kryptonite. Or he's about to make a Thanksgiving turkey, but he says it's going to be th synthetic kryptonite. And this is where we learn that Luthor has seen, or at least read the script, from the previous serial, as he basically recites the opening narration from Superman the serial word for word. And I do mean word for word. I mean, and Luthor knows far too much here. I don't know how he can know all these details. I mean, he does come up with this reason for knowing some of what happened to Krypton by intercepting messages from space and deciphering the code. Pretty much like what Virgil Swan would do later on Smallville. But there are details that wouldn't necessarily be in Jor-El's message. Like, we hear him talk about how Krypton was a rugged planet and how the capital lay on a wide plateau. I don't think these details are important enough that Jor-El would send them in a message with the sole survivor of this lost civilization. And in addition to Luthor's monologue, we also get flashbacks to the first chapter of the previous serial, which basically yeah, kind of makes Chapter 7 a clip show, at least for a small part of it. I guess this is how they saved money for all those live-action flying effects we've seen by not filming half of this chapter. Like I said, I don't know if Jor-El would have had time to send out this much information on Krypton. I mean, the sheer detail that Luthor knows is staggering. There's just no way for him to really have this information. I can assume that Jor-El would send out the details about what's happening to the planet, such as it being drawn toward the sun, but he definitely wouldn't be sending out geography details and geological surveys about the minerals because Luthor clearly knows that the minerals are unknown to Earth. Impertinent details. And I also will say that this is taking far too long. This chapter, like most of them, is only about 16 and a half minutes long. To spend nearly five minutes on footage from the previous serial just seems like an absolute waste. This sequence does make me think of how we are now, where the minute anybody shows an origin story of Superman, 
people go crazy because, oh no, we all know this. We've seen this before, blah, 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 blah. But I'm guessing in 1950, the origin may not have been as well known then as it is today. So there may have been some folks in the theater seeing this for the first time. And you know what? I've always been of the opinion, and I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with me, that any time you're going to introduce the character again in a new continuity, let's call it for lack of a better term, you should show the origin because there's always a first time for somebody. You know, Batman v Superman is a perfect example. Everyone screamed about how we've seen Batman's origin in the Nolan films and in, now in Gotham, but you know what? I will bet that there is someone in that theater who never saw that saw it before. Far too many people have seen that movie for everyone to have been familiar with his origin. And with that said, I am going to climb down off of my soapbox. And as far as recapping a previous serial or movie, I always thought Superman 2 handled the recap best by putting the footage from the first film into the opening credits. But this is something I'll, I could talk about in a few years when I eventually get around to covering Superman 2. And, the, and although only five minutes or so have passed in screen time, 12 minutes have passed in the serial time because, or more than 12 minutes really, because not only is his furnace preheated, but his synthetic kryptonite is completely finished. They're all ready to sit down and have their Thanksgiving kryptonite. We get another look at the hall outside of the city, the Daily Planet newsroom, as Carl hands off the kryptonite to a janitor who puts it in the newsroom water cooler. And apparently it's 9 p.m., Clark is working late. He is the only one in the newsroom. Apparently in the 1950s Daily Planet, newspapering is, is a 9-to-5 job. You would think there'd be somebody else running around in the office at this time, but nope. Everyone's at home. Clark is there by himself. Clark, meanwhile, is feeling a little bit bothered, and he doesn't seem to know why. So he goes to the water cooler for a drink, you know, just like anyone else would. And he collapses to the floor, and which alerts the janitor, who goes back outside and tells Clark that it knocked out Clark Kent. Now this is funny because what happens is now, the janitor goes out, warns Carl, they come back in, and no Clark. He's gone. And Carl is unhappy. He, he just sends the janitor away angrily and takes the kryptonite and goes home. So apparently that experiment has failed. We apparently, sticking out at the Daily Planet, was not the answer, as Clark has run off. Now we're moving on to a celebration of a ship launching, and Superman will be the guest of, guest of honor. You know, like I said, this uh, serial goes a long way to showing other things other than the main plot. You wouldn't have seen in the first serial anybody honoring Superman for anything, or any kind of thing that didn't seem related to the plotline at first. But this ship launching does give the Atom Man's men uh, an opportunity to uh, go after him with their synthetic kryptonite. The ship is named Man of Steel in honor of Superman, and Superman is not worried in the slightest about the fact that Atom Man might have synthetic kryptonite. You shouldn't have come today. I'm not worried with all these people here to protect me. The Atom Man may have synthetic kryptonite. Even so, I'm not worried. Maybe he should be. <laughs> Superman stands up for uh, some reason. He feels the need to fix his trunks as he stands up. Perhaps they're falling down. Bear is in the crowd and he is quietly kind of flashing the synthetic kryptonite and he is very pleased about it as Superman goes down. Bear tucks the kryptonite away, and Albers runs up pretending to be a doctor, and they load Superman into an ambulance. At which point, Albers continues to hold the kryptonite over him. Like I said, they are quite pleased with themselves, and they should be. They just put one over on Superman. And this is a kind of a different change for 
this serial is the chapter doesn't end with Lois or Jimmy in trouble. This time it ends with Superman in trouble. And really, they can hold that kryptonite on him until it kills him. Yeah, I wonder if they know that at all, but you would think that would save them a whole bunch of time and trouble later on. That pretty much does it for that chapter. It's kind of a transitional chapter. It's not a lot happens. It's a lot of it is set up of Luthor creating the synthetic kryptonite and filling in Albers and the audience on Superman's origin. So we're going to move right along ahead to chapter 8, Into the Empty Doom. Superman is dragged unconscious into the cave hideout. So, the mighty man of steel has met his master. Meat is a lad. Get up! The last time you stood beneath that arc, you tricked me. And cleverly, I admit. But this time you shall not escape. There is no transformer strong enough to develop the energy to control me. I have a supply of plutonium, thanks to you and your X-ray vision. With it, I have intensified the electron output of my arc so that nothing can resist disintegration, not even the invincible Superman. Put him under the arc. Before you depart for an eternity of aimless wandering into the empty doom, what have you to say? Just this. I'll be back. Clark missing, Perry tells a reluctant Lois to write a story, saying Kent is Superman. Want me, Chief? Yes, I just talked to the superintendent of Clark Kent's department house. He hasn't been there for two days. Oh, seems to me he said something about visiting his folks. You're making that up as you go along. I was only... Now, why cover for him? Did it ever occur to you that Clark Kent might be Superman? I've often wondered about it. Well, before anyone else reaches the same conclusion, get busy on your typewriter and write the story. What good's it gonna do to unmask Superman? He's gone anyhow. Well, I was thinking maybe we should wait until... This is a newspaper, not a protective society. If I don't publish the story, someone else will. Our motto is... I know the planet, always first to the news. Lois and Jimmy trick Perry by having Jimmy phone in, mimicking Clark. What? This is terrific. Thanks. May I go now? Stick around, young woman. Composing room? Hold the front page for a replay. I'm sending the copy right down. I know how you feel, Lois, but stories like this are the lifeblood of the newspaper business. But Superman is such a nice guy. I know, but you can't hold out on the public with a story like this. White speaking. Mr. White, this is Clark Kent. Where have you been, Kent? We've turned the town inside out. I got in a jam, but I'm on the trail of a big story. Good, stay with it. I'll have a rewrite man stand by. What are you doing in my story? Forget the replating. Run the front page layout the way you have it. Meanwhile, a ghostly Superman finds he cannot stop criminals. In the Daily Planet, Lois sees her newfangled electric typewriter type a message. Jimmy, look. Yeah, no hands. Huh? 
message from Superman. Superman is concentrating to move the keys. His message tells where the cave hideout is and to throw a main switch so that Superman can return. Instead of telling the police, Lois and Jimmy go alone. They whack a guard and are looking for the proper switch when Atom Man appears. Perhaps uh, I can guess your mission. You are here to save Superman. I noticed you were trying to determine which one of those switches would bring him back. I admire courage, so I am going to give you a sporting chance. One of those two switches will free Superman from the empty doom. The other one will seal his fate forever. It's up to you to choose the right one. Are you willing to make the gamble? Yes. Very well. Go ahead. Lois frantically pulls two causing sparks. Alright, first and foremost, this chapter has a little more meat on its bones than chapter 7 did. As it opens, Superman is dragged into the Atom Man's cave hideout. And the Atom Man is kind enough to tell a groggy Superman that of his role in helping the Atom Man get the plutonium. He's even given last words, but a Superman is sent to the Empty Doom, yelling, I'll be back. I'll be back. 34 years before Arnold Schwarzenegger made that line famous. You see? All of the things you love came from Superman, whether people know that or not. Meanwhile, Perry is quite put off by Lois and Jimmy not knowing how Superman is because he's not in the hospital. How's Superman? We don't know. What do you mean you don't know? When you phoned in, you said he's on the way to the hospital. Well, that's what we thought. I'll check every hospital. We've already done that. He's not in a hospital. Then where is he? I don't know. But I have a hunch the Atom Man does. Yeah, he probably knocked him out with synthetic kryptonite. Oh, then the ambulance was a plant. It looks like it. Well, what are we waiting for? Get busy. Write the story. I was just thinking... This may be the end of Superman. Maybe, but don't let your personal feelings interfere with your work. If Clark's out there, send him in. Okay, Chief. The planet crew is awfully slow today, as they realize that the ambulance was a plant and that he was knocked out with synthetic kryptonite. You would think synthetic kryptonite would have been the first thing anybody would have thought about because Lois mentioned it to him immediately before it happened. Now, at this point, we've noticed that Clark is missing. You know, obviously, as the viewers, we know that Clark is Superman. The characters on screen don't know that. But Jimmy comments on Clark's not being there and calls him that Kent character. That Kent character has a knack for not being around. Jimmy is acting like he barely knows Clark and that he hasn't been working with him for several years now. It's just a weird way for the writers to put that in. Maybe they were showing that... Jimmy was annoyed with Clark for some reason, but I don't know. The, to refer to him as that Kent character just came off weird as Jimmy should know Clark better than that and wouldn't refer to him in quite that fashion. But he also, on the flip side, comments about Perry's uncaring nature about what happened to Superman, saying that he has printer's ink for blood. Perry does come off as very cold in this serial, more so than he did in the last one. Right now, all he cares about is getting the story out, cooperating with Superman, and catching the criminals. I like a gruff Perry, but I also like a, a softer Perry. You know, one that shows that he cares about his employees and will form meaningful relationships with them. Lane Smith would show this in spades in the 1990s during the four-year run of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which we'll cover eventually. Here's an attempt at comedy 
which probably worked better in 1950 than it does now, as Lois struggles with her newfangled electric typewriter. These newfangled typewriters. Electric, you know, won't work unless it's plugged in. By the time I was typing on anything, electric typewriters were pretty much the norm. And on their way to extinction, I might add. Now, I guess the planet had recently upgraded, as Jimmy kind of gets one over on Lois here as he points out that she forgot to plug it in. You know, I've done this enough in my life that I always ask when someone has an electrical issue if they plugged the thing in. Because people always ask me that the first time. You know, I wonder if one of the writers had an issue with his own electric typewriter back in his day and wrote that into the script. Yeah, because once in a while a writer will do that, you know, he'll make a joke about something that vexing him to one extent or another. And this could be just a kind of a shot at electric typewriters. As the, a lot of times the characters are a proxy for the writers. Here's a little bit of a note here. Jimmy is standing over Lois as she starts writing. It apparently doesn't bother Lois, but I hate that. Having someone hovering over me like that just makes me uncomfortable. Kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. Life moves on, Superman's gone, and the crime wave increases as the Metropolis Police, as we've seen in about a serial and a half at this point, that the, the Metropolis Police are just useless. Now, we get to see a ghost-like Superman who is trying to help and interact with the real world by trying to stop robbery. But people in cars just kind of go right through him. I have referred to the Empty Doom before as kind of a proto-Phantom Zone, and that's kind of what it's acting like at this time here. Now here's a funny gag here. The police car stops in front of right in front of the ghostly Superman. He acts as if he's about to talk to them, but the cops just ignore him and drive off. Clearly, while he can see what's going on in what we'll call it the real world, the real world can't see him or interact with him in any way. Now, at least two days have passed because Perry comments that he had been trying to find Clark and he hasn't been at his apartment in two days. And for some reason he sends for Lois. And I guess he just he kind of needs to at this point. We need to move the story along. This is where Perry puts together an idea. Clark Kent is Superman. Then Perry tells her to write the story. What story? What proof does he have? The fact that they're both gone isn't enough to prove anything. It could lead there, but it doesn't get you all the way. Lois is going to have to do some heavy-duty investigative journalism in order to credibly prove that Clark is Superman. Because... Unless I'm missing something, she doesn't have any. Now, Lois is conflicted about this for two reasons. One, she doesn't believe she has the right to expose Superman's privacy. And secondly, if they're wrong, why give Clark, who she calls a big dope, a build-up he doesn't deserve? She doesn't want to do it because she loves Superman and doesn't care for Clark, which kind of seems about right based on the way we've seen her treat both of them in the serial. There was a story in the recent Superman comics where Lois unmasked Clark to the world. Even though she said she was trying to protect him, in the context of that story, it didn't ring true. Here, Lois's compassion for Superman does ring true, as does her disdain for Clark. This is a good time for Superman to appear and read over Lois's work. Apparently he can read what's going on as well, but still can't interact with the physical world. As he's standing behind the desk trying to pull the paper out of the typewriter in an attempt to stop the story from being written, but he is unable to do so and just fades away. Perry is just extremely irresponsible here, printing this leap in logic without a shred of proof to back it up. You know, and I'm 
kind of questioning his journalistic integrity here. You don't come up with an idea and have someone write it, and there it is, you have a news story. No, it doesn't work that way. Like I said before, Lois has to do research and come up with some kind of proof to back up this claim that Clark Kent is Superman. Otherwise, she and the planet are going to look foolish, and that's going to put a serious hit to their credibility. I mean, Perry, you should know better than this. How long have you been in this job? Come on, man. <sighs> anyway, the phantom Superman is hanging outside the window, kind of looking in on uh, all of this. And now we get our first bit of super ventriloquism on the screen. Well, not from Superman at all, but from Jimmy. As he's calling from a payphone as part of his orders to make sure that Lois's story about Clark being Superman never gets printed. But you know what? No, I'm not buying this at all. You know, in post-production, the producers dubbed Kirk Allen's voice over Jimmy's. It doesn't work. Phone connections in the 1940s could have been low-quality enough that Jimmy probably could have faked this and gotten away with it. But no, they did this, and it looks horrible, and I don't buy in the slightest bit that Tommy Bond can mimic Kirk Allen's voice that well. But to make sure that we do buy it, Jimmy does it again as he enters the newsroom. I'm still not buying it. But apparently Perry did, and that's all that matters. As Lois finishes typing a story, the typewriter starts going on its own. Apparently Superman has figured out how to interact with the real world, and is contacting her from the empty doom. <laughs> Superman tells them to call the police, but Lois doesn't listen. The Phantom Superman tries to stop them, but he can't. He leaps out from the other side of her desk, but Jimmy and Lois walk right through him. They're going to the Adam Man's cave, and they plan to throw the switch so he can come back. And that's, uh, you know, it's pretty brave of them. They're uh, doing what they can to rescue the Man of Steel. I mean, he's done it more than enough for them. It's only right that they return the favor. So as they approach uh, the cave, they run into one of the Adam Man's guards, and Lois whacks him with, with her purse. Why not? And they enter the cave, and nobody's home. And then, and then Jimmy seems shocked when the Adam Man comes out of uh, from behind the curtain. I don't understand why Jimmy seems so surprised that the Adam Man is there. This is, after all, his headquarters. So Adam Man points to two switches on uh, this big machine and tells her that one will save Superman and the other won't. Bear is amused by Lois's uh, indecision over which uh, switch to throw. Carl just standing there, stoic as the Adam Man looks through his crockpot. Unable to make a decision in this matter, she makes the ultimate commitment, throws both switches, and the chapter comes to a close. So, I'm going to take a quick break right now, play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with Chapter 9. Hang around. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort! And many, many more. 
Justice League International, Blahaha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, folks, welcome back. Chapter 9, Superman Crashes Through. What do you think is going to happen in this chapter? The uh, short circuit doesn't bring Superman back. He shorted the apparatus by closing both switches at the same time. They bring someone here to investigate. We'd better get out of here. Get rid of them. We leave by the space transporter. Adam Man has Lois and Jimmy dumped outside and flees. Two power repair people come having traced the power surge. We were captured by the Atom Man. He's got his headquarters in that cave. Uh-oh. It's got the machine that sent Superman into the empty doom. Uh, you two feel all right? At the planet. Your story is fantastic. You probably had delusions after being knocked out. But we both saw these things. You were probably hypnotized. The police searched the cave and found absolutely nothing. Then why did Superman's message tell us to go there? I'm not so sure the message was from Superman. It also told you to contact the police, didn't it? Yes. Then next time, do as you're told. It's always a good idea. Any word from Clark Kent? No, and when he does show up, he better have a 100% perfect alibi. Superman types a new plan. Now what? This message from Superman just appeared on my typewriter. Read it. You'll see that Superman really sent it. This time, I believe you. A newsreel is televised, making it appear Superman is back. This causes Luthor to send an aide to the trapped channel of the Empty Doom to check if Superman is still trapped. Superman is out there. He may come in on this beam. I don't think he can, but if he should, turn the kryptonite rays on him. Superman flings the man aside and forces down the open beam back toward the cave hideout. Where is the Atom Man? You'll see him. After this kryptonite makes you helpless. I'm here, Superman. Now I shall watch you being destroyed by kryptonite. The only element that can do it. Real kryptonite is one thing, but your synthetic stuff loses its power when exposed to the air. Now I'll find out who you are. I have outwitted you once more, Superman. And I'm not going to leave you a single clue. Adam Man appears, but Superman finds it as a robot copy. Clark at the planet plots with Perry to prove respectable television executive Luthor is Adam Man. Perry complains to Lois about a story, and she quits. Lois! You wrote this story on the Traction Company. Yes, anything wrong? Only a million dollar libel suit against us. Why don't you check your facts? Of all the dumb, stupid pieces of reporting... Hold it! I don't want to hear any more. I quit! Good! Saves me the trouble of firing you. Gee, Lois, I'm sorry this had to happen. You might have spoken up. You covered that story. Well, sure, but you begged me to let you put your name on it. Now you let me take all the blame. Fine heel you turned out to be. Well, I know where I can get another job, and a better one at that. Gee, that was a dirty trick to pull on Lois. After all she's done for him. 
She gets hired by Luthor. Of course, Miss Lane. Go ahead. That's why I'm through the Daily Planet, and especially Clark Kent. I understand how you feel. And you'd like to become a member of our organization? Yes. I could do spot news telecasts and interviews. Very well. You're hired. As a Planet reporter, you had a great many contacts with Superman. Perhaps you can tell him of a television idea I have in mind. I'll try. Don't forget, I want to get even with Clark Kent. Oh, I'll remember. Report back here at 2 o'clock for your first assignment. I'll be here on the dot. And Clark and Jimmy see her interview people on the street. Crooks rob a store, and when they flee, Lois pursues in a Daily Planet coupe. The crooks shoot the tire so Superman stops the car from crashing. Jimmy chases the crooks to a rail yard, where he gets a foot stuck in the rail as a train approaches. Alright, well this is a fun little chapter. So, as we saw in the, at the end of the previous chapter, Lois threw both switches, causing the machine to short circuit. And it knocks them out. Nice work, Lois. You have accomplished nothing. So, getting rid of them is interrupted by two men from the power company, who after a short fist fight, save Lois and Jimmy from Foster and Carl. Jimmy and Lois tell this guy from the power company, but all he can do is stand there and look confused. I guess you didn't have to be too smart to work for the power company in 1950. But I admire their dedication to their work that they're willing to get into a fist fight in the middle of nowhere over it. And you wouldn't see that today. You know, now, the minute you're threatened, you're the hell out of there because company policy. Which is probably wise. Uh, I'm not sure electrical companies even 19, in 1950 are condoning their employees get into fist fights with gangsters. Anyway, Perry is still disbelieving of Lois and Jimmy. Lois he, has a rare moment of compassion after they leave Perry White's office, as she wonders whether something actually has happened to Clark. I wonder if anything has happened to Clark. Lois, I'm beginning to think you really miss him. I'd miss him like I would a toothache. You know, that's the kind of relationship between Lois and Clark that I like. They could be rivals on stories, but deep down, when everything else is torn away, they should be friends. But, of course, right now in this serial, Lois will not admit that. Now we're back to the magic typewriter, as Superman types up another plot-advancing set of instructions. Now as I think about it, I wonder if Superman can interact with this typewriter because it's, because it's an electric typewriter. I just thought of that now as I'm recording this. They made a big deal out of pointing out that Lois's typewriter was electric, and shortly after, Superman started typing on it. So, I wonder if there's some kind of correlation there between the electric typewriter and Superman being able to touch it with his superpowers from the Empty Doom when we've seen in the previous chapter that he really can't interact with anything else. Now, the one thing that always bugged me about this scene is the Phantom Superman appears on the other side of the desk. If he was actually interacting with the typewriter, shouldn't he actually be at it typing? And I must admit, a little image of ghostly Superman sitting on a ghostly seat typing on Lois's computer is kind of amusing. But I guess at this point, Superman ha is flashing some kind of telekinetic power that we haven't seen before or since. Now Perry reads the letter. And for some reason, just reading this convinces Perry that it's from Superman. What reason does Perry have to believe this? For all he knows, Lois could have just typed this up at her desk. He can't see through the door. The Daily Planet's next headline, Superman Returns. Yeah, take that, Brian Singer. During the course of this montage of headlines, there have been three editions of the Daily Planet in one afternoon. Luthor and Bear are listening to the radio, and Luthor writes off the fact that Superman has returned as nonsense. And then we see a news video. Remember a few episodes ago when I asked if there was a news crew around when Superman rounded up some of the Spider-Lady's crooks? Here's why. 
This is taken direct from one of the early chapters of Superman the Serial, when Superman rounds up some of the Spider-Lady's men. And this is even more memorable because they used a scene where Superman tied the two crooks up with the bumper that he pulled off the car. I mean, if you'll remember, I mentioned that I liked that a couple of episodes ago. As a side note, there must have been several cameras set up during this apprehension because we're getting all kinds of cuts and edits. Where do news outlets get pre-produced footage from? Why, they asked Columbia pictures, of course. Mainly because the natives of Talos IV from Star Trek have not been invented yet by Gene Roddenberry. If, you're, if you've seen the episode The Menagerie, they also sent some very well-produced security video directly to the Enterprise, we think. That's kind of a heady episode. You should see the looks on Luthor's and Bear's faces as they are watching this. It is absolutely priceless. What would have been even more amusing is if they used one of the scenes Brock was in. That might have, been, that might have given Bear some pause, as both he and Brock are played by the same actor. Luthor changes his clothes in time to send... This guy we've never seen before check the check on Superman in Channel 3. I guess that's just one of the settings on the main arc. That always confused me when I was a kid, because I always wondered why Superman was in the video channel. Those of us who remember VCRs remember, remember that they always had to be on Channel 3 to play. I'm a kid. That's the connection I made. Not that the main arc had uh, different channels of space to trap people in. Now we get our first look at what it looks like inside the Empty Doom. Superman is still ghostly, with a backdrop of planets and stars behind him. This looks like what it could be a proto-Phantom Zone. Like I said before, many times, I wonder if the creators of the Phantom Zone in the 60s kind of got the inspiration for their idea here. Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter. When Superman runs in the end, he looks like he's on the moon, kind of bounding. People in the Empty Doom can't interact with each other as Superman comes up from behind the guy that we've never seen before. And when they speak to each other, their voices have this echo effect. Who sent you? The Adam Man. And he left the beam open so that you could return. Yes. Good. I'll descend on the beam. So meanwhile, Superman just tosses this guy away. And he just floats away forever. And Superman just flies downward toward the open beam and comes back to Earth. And as sees Superman is exposed to the synthetic kryptonite when he comes out of the, emerges from the main arc, but he takes an awful long time to fall. That should have been the criminal's first clue that something was wrong. And eventually, Superman pushes himself back up as the synthetic kryptonite wore off, and he has no trouble telling the Atom Man who just emerged. <laughs> Superman slaps the helmet off of the Atom Man, and it reveals to be a robot. Luthor anticipated that Superman couldn't come back through. It's rare that Luthor was wrong, but he must have at least allowed for it by employing his Atom Man robot. Having returned from the Empty Doom, what do you think the first thing Superman does is? Well, he goes back to the Daily Planet, and turns into Clark, and reports in. Here's something. He hasn't been to the Daily Planet in days. Perhaps he should have come in through the door, as Superman flies into the storeroom, and then Clark all of a sudden just walks out of the storage room. And I wonder, you know, during his adventures as Superman, as, uh, Clark goes into the storage room and never comes out. I wonder if people sit there and wonder what Clark might be doing in there, as the storage room is right next to everybody's desk. But no, Clark just emerges. He could have been in there sleeping for three days, and nobody needed a pencil in that time, so... That's right. And you say that the Atom Man projected you into space with this main arc. Yes, and I'd be there yet if Superman hadn't figured a way out to get me back. And also that he has this machine hidden in a cave, yet when the police search the place, all they find are rock walls. He has some mysterious way of making things vanish. 
If this is true, he has a remarkable scientific mind. And a crooked one. I can think of only one man who possesses a brain like that. Luthor. Luthor is running a legitimate television station. I'm sure he's on the level. Chief, you go through an awful lot of trouble to uncover the truth. If Luthor is the Adam Man, you'll print the facts, won't you? You bet I will. I'm a newspaper man. What have you got up your sleeve? Just this. Clark hits Perry with just a little bit of truth, saying he was the one projected into space, along with Superman. Not sure why Adam Man would send them together, but Perry seems to buy it. And Clark comes up with a devious plan to trap Luthor. Right now, Clark is the only person who suspects Luthor of being the Atom Man. Perry is still defending Luthor, but I like how Clark plays on Perry's desire to tell the truth to get him to go along with him with his plan. And this is where the serial took an unexpected turn, at least for me the first time I watched it. And when I watched it for the first time as a kid, I fell for this. Hook line and sinker. Lois quits after Perry yells at her about a story, and Perry says that it saves him the trouble of firing her. And I'm thinking, you can't fire Lois from the planet, but you know, he didn't, she quit, but it was quite clear that if she didn't quit in this moment that she would have been fired anyway. Look, I don't ordinarily spoil ahead, but in this case I'm going to, otherwise it will be hard to talk about what's happening. So, if you haven't seen this serial before and you are watching along, watch the rest and then come back. If you're okay with spoilers on a 66-year-old serial, then let's go. This is a setup, folks. Lois is quitting from the planet as part of Clark's trap, and she reacts to Perry's chastising her like she already knows what's going on. But Clark had just hatched his plan to Perry, and then it took effect immediately after he left the office. The only time we didn't see Clark was when Superman landed in the storeroom and then he was in Perry's office. I guess he could have spoken to Lois before that. Jimmy is speaking up on Lois's behalf at Clark, and he was deliberately left out of the plan. As Jimmy walks away, Clark looks at him, and then Lois with a little grin. His plan worked. And now, Lois is working for Luthor, and she sells him on her wanting to get even with Clark Kent. Unlike Luthor, Bear is far more concerned about whether Luthor should hire her. And Luthor is awfully cavalier about this. Bear is worried that if she spots the special section of the truck where from which they do their spy work, that she can cause trouble for their plans. Luthor's obvious defense is no one else ever has, which isn't exactly uh, something that would instill me with a, lot of, with a lot of confidence if I was Bear. Because Luthor, my friend, there's always a first time. Clark and Jimmy show up at Lois' new spot, and she's kind of doing some man-on-the-street interviews, Clark and Jimmy kind of go up to Lois and try to get interviewed, and Lois ignores them, and rightly so. She is trying to work. They spot some of the Adam Man's men robbing a jewelry shop. Lois chases the men in the planet coop. Uh, Lois? That's, uh, Grand Theft Auto. You don't work at the planet anymore. Or does she? Jimmy gets tripped up by one of the criminals, and Lois gets the tire shot out. Superman will rescue her and save her yet again. Jimmy takes a piece of fruit from the stupid tree. Chasing Luthor's men across the train yard. Which, by the way, is awfully close to the city. And he gets his foot stuck in the rail. And that's uh, where the chapter ends. With Jimmy about to be hit by an oncoming train. And let's be honest, if he gets hit, he kind of deserves it, doesn't he? But we'll find out next week whether Jimmy gets hit by the train or not. But before that, I want to remind everybody that feedback is always welcome. You can 
email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. There's the Facebook page, you which I plugged earlier in the show. You can like by searching for Man of Screen Podcast. You can leave me a re- review on iTunes. That'll help other people find the show. As of, as of this moment, I'm still waiting for my first review. And I also have a Twitter feed now. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Still taking me a little bit to get used to that handle. I really want to just Man of Screen. I was shocked when it wasn't there. That said... What has Clark Kent got himself into now? Will the treacherous Luthor make good his promise? For the answer, listen to Chapter 13 of Man of Screen Podcast on this web feed next week. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com. And you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.